0: You're listening to an audio message from Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. For more information, visit our website at harvestgranger.org. Welcome to Harvest Bible Chapel. My name is Tyler Holder, and I am our Director of Adult Ministries, and I am so excited to be sharing with the very first time we've ever gathered together at 945 to share with you. So if you've been here a while, you know that you should probably open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, except this morning. First Samuel chapter 3. I would encourage you to find your way to 1 Samuel chapter 3 this morning. Now, let me ask you guys just real quick: how many of you have ever asked the question to someone if they We're listening. How many of you have ever asked your kids that question? I find over and over and over again, I'm asking my kids that as they grow older, and and it brings back to mind my own childhood. As a a kid, I'm not sure if anybody else had this same superpower, but I I had the ability to tune out any adult-toned voice, especially my parents. Maybe I was the only one. But I can remember time and time again, my parents looking at me square in the face and saying, Tyler, are you listening? And I would bald face lie, absolutely, mom, absolutely. She'd tell me something important like what to do and I'd say, okay, great. And I'd go off and do something entirely different, entirely different. And what I thought was really Padawan skills turned into a Jedi master as I grew older. Not only did my ability to not listen not go away as I grew older, it got far better to where I can look somebody in the face today and they can say, Tyler, are you listening? And I can, st- and I can pay attention to what you're saying. Absolutely, I am listening. Not a word, I'm actually in a happy place somewhere else in my mind doing something else. And sadly, I think it's a genetical disease, genetical, genetic disease. <laughs> it could be genetical or genetic disease because I've seen the same skill set in my kids. I have a five-year-old son, his name's Jax, and I have a two-year-old daughter. We call her Baby Girl. Now Jax was pretty rough with listening. We could say, Jax, you shouldn't do that. You don't put the screwdriver in the socket. And he would go and just shove it in. Now Baby Girl, she takes it to a whole nother level. She's three years behind Jax and she just multiplies what he does which is great for her, rough on us. So when I think about now, are you listening? I know what my parents felt. I feel the pain they felt. And as I look at my kids, and as I look at Jackson, I look at Adelaide, which is my daughter's real name, I over and over and over again want more than anything for them to hear what I'm saying, right? And not just hear the things they wanna hear, like it's dinner time, but to hear the things that will benefit them. Jax, Adelaide, please don't do this. Please don't do that. If I'm honest, Janelle does a way, just a way better job at this than I do. But when we see our kids, listen. Man, it's like watching Michael Phelps win his 80th gold medal. It's amazing, we applaud and we cheer and we get excited because they finally grasped what we're sharing with them. They're listening, they are listening. And as we look at 1 Samuel chapter three today, what we'll see is we'll see God challenging us to listen. So I'm gonna ask you to put on your listening ears, right? I don't know if parents still do this, I don't, but my parents did, Tyler, put on your listening ears And I want us to cue in for these few moments to hear how God will speak to us. We're going to look at 1 Samuel chapter 3, and we're going to see four different checkpoints in our response to hearing God speak. God is asking us to listen, but are we? Hopefully, this morning, we are. Hopefully you found your way to 1 Samuel chapter 3. We'll read the first 10 verses to start out. 1 Samuel chapter 3, starting in verse 1. The Bible says, Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not But he said, I did not call my son, lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time, and he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant Hears, So Samuel went and lay down in his place, and the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel, and Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. So if we are to listen to God, the first checkpoint that we see is that God is calling us. God is calling us much like he is calling Samuel. In the first verse of chapter three, we see the unique setting of Samuel's calling. Now in verse one, it says, Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. So Samuel is ministering to the Lord. He's serving in the temple under the high priest Eli. And the Bible makes an amazing statement, says the word of the Lord was rare. There was no frequent vision. The word that the Bible uses for rare is a unique word. It's a word that means precious or noble or scarce. It would be as if you walked into your backyard and you found the most beautiful diamond in your yard just sitting there. I don't know about you, I don't live in that place. And if I found that, this is rare. This will not happen again. The word of the Lord was rare. It wasn't prevalent. Samuel is called by the Lord in the midst of a spiritual drought. God wasn't communicating to his people, not because he didn't have anything to say. But if you look back at 1 Samuel chapter 2, it's because his people had turned away from him. And Samuel is called... And God overlooks the likely candidate. Samuel's about 12 or 13 years old at this moment in his life. And he's ministering with Eli. And God doesn't call Eli the high priest. He calls Samuel the boy. So Samuel is in this unique setting, in a culture that isn't pursuing Christ, isn't pursuing God, in a culture that has forgotten what God has commanded of them. And God comes and he calls Samuel. And we see some unique characteristics between Samuel and Eli in verses 2 and 3. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. There's some specific characteristics that we see between Eli and Samuel. We see that Eli had been pursuing an unholy life. Again, if you look back at 1 Samuel chapter 2, you'll read the account of Eli's sins and the sins of his family. But we see Samuel, this unique boy, set apart by birth for service to the Lord. We see him set apart for holiness. We see Eli being blind, so blind that he can't see. And we see Samuel possessing sight. We see Eli dwelling in darkness outside of the temple we see Samuel dwelling in light. And finally, we see a characteristic of Eli where he is far from God. He's distant from God. But notice where Samuel is. Samuel is in the temple, sleeping next to the ark. Lord, he's close to God. And I would venture to say that 13 years ago, when God initially called me, he called me from an unholy life pursuing my own selfish gains to one that was filled with his holiness and the desire to pursue him. He called me from spiritual blindness and opened my eyes to my sinfulness and brought me into sight. He brought me from darkness into light. And finally, he brought me from being far from him to being close to him. And today, as the Lord calls, as he calls Samuel, as he calls you, as he calls me, he's calling us to embrace holiness, to embrace sight, to embrace light, and to embrace a closeness to him. He's calling us. He's calling us. This morning, I would venture to say there's probably some of us here who have endured moments and months and months of anguish and pain to where you've lost a spouse you've lost a child your wife or your husband has told you they wanted a divorce you failed a class you failed an exam you have experienced excruciating pain and in that moment hear me when I say that God is calling you to closeness with him not distance In Janelle and I's life, there were moments uh, really about two years ago when Janelle got really sick. And in that moment, we thought the smart and wise thing to do was to withdraw from community, to withdraw not from church, not from the Lord. We didn't turn our backs on the Lord at all, but we withdrew from the community that was around us because in our minds, that was the best way to deal with what was going on. Can I tell you that in the midst of pain and anguish, it would have been so much richer and so much better for us to lean into that community and withdraw from it? In the moments of pain and anguish, it would have been better for us to push in and become more committed, more involved, get more into the community that was around us and to withdraw. So let me encourage you, if you have endured pain, anguish, excruciating pain and anguish, don't withdraw from the Lord. He's calling you. He's calling you to a closeness with Him. Some of us this morning have heard the Lord call. And I love that we had baptisms this morning because it's a beautiful picture of responding to God's call on your life. He's calling you from an unholy life to one of holiness, from darkness to light. But we've responded and we've placed our faith and our trust and our desires in Jesus, but we have allowed our hearing to become dull. Are we listening? Are we listening? God's still calling. Are we listening? Don't allow your hearing to become dulled anymore. Be awakened to the joys and the beauty and the grace that is Christ. Allow the word of the Lord to be a crisp, refreshing wind to your soul. Don't be deafened anymore. God's calling you. He's calling you. I would also say that there's some here today that the word of the Lord has been rare in their life, it's been scarce, it hasn't been present. And you came to a church on a new time. You didn't know what you were walking into. Welcome to Harvest. But let me tell you, my hope for you this morning is that you would hear the beauty of God's word and it would no longer be scarce in your life. You would hear God calling you. He's calling you. He's calling you from darkness to light. He desires for you to hear his word proclaimed and for you to respond as God calls you, how promptly do you respond to him? Look at 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 4. Then the Lord called Samuel and he said, here I am and ran to Eli. Samuel's response is complete, passionate and beautiful. He runs to the one that he thinks is calling him. And if I'm honest, if I were in Samuel's shoes, by the third time I went to somebody and woke him up and they said, bro, I'm not calling you, I'd say, cool, if it happens again, I'm sleeping through it. That's not Samuel, though. Samuel's listening, and he's responding. He responds by running fervently, passionately, towards the one that he thinks is calling him. How are we responding to God's call? How are we responding to God's call? Are we listening for it? Verse 6, and the Lord called Samuel again. Samuel and Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call, my son. Lie down again and look what the Bible says in verse 7. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not been revealed to him. You mean to tell me that Samuel can sleep where the Ark of the Covenant is and not know the Lord? You mean to tell me that Samuel can be the marked difference in a culture and a society that's not pursuing the Lord and still not know him? You mean to tell me that Samuel, who's an answer to prayer, read 1 Samuel 1 and 2, his mother pleads to the Lord to have a child, sets him apart to serve him in the temple. You mean to tell me that God hadn't revealed himself to Samuel? That's what I mean to tell you. Isn't it beautiful Isn't it beautiful that God calls us even before we know he's there? Man, praise the Lord that in a 17-year-old punk in Woodstock, Georgia, he called me before I ever sought him. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord that God is drawing Samuel to him. That we don't have to have it figured out. That we don't have to have the right marks on our sheet in order to turn it into God to be approved. Praise the Lord that he's drawing, calling, and pursuing us far before we ever do him. Praise the Lord. But here's a word of caution from verse 7. Don't mistake proximity to God with a relationship with God. Samuel could have easily... Easily just said, I'm serving the Lord in the temple. That's enough. Don't mistake proximity with the gospel, with an understanding and a relationship with Jesus. Don't do it. God's calling you. He's drawing you. He's begging and pleading and asking you to hear and respond. But don't let your foolish pride get in the way. The gospel is clear that in God's word that we are sinners, that God is holy, that Christ is our redeemer, and he calls us to repent and turn away from our sins and to place our faith in Jesus, regardless of how long we've been involved in church, regardless of how much we've done. Do not mistake proximity with a relationship. Please hear me say that. Look at verse 10. After three times of going to Eli, Eli finally cues in, Hey, if somebody's calling him and it's not me, maybe it's God. Way to go. Look at verse 10. And the Lord came and stood. I would hate for that to happen. If God's calling me, praise the Lord, it's through his word. If he's standing there calling me, I'm freaked out. And the Lord came and stood calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak for your servant hears. So Samuel's response to God's call is so amazing. The word that the Bible uses there for hears is a unique word that means to hear with an intent or to hear as to obey. Now again, if somebody's asking me if I'm listening, you already know I'm not, right? If I'm hearing you, chances are I'm not hearing you as to obey. There's a low likelihood if we're in a conversation and you've had to ask me if I'm listening, then I'm going to do what you're asking me to do. Samuel's response to God, before he even knows what God's going to ask him, is speak, Lord, for your servant hears, and I'm hearing to obey. I'm not hearing just to hear. God's calling you. He's using his word to draw and call us towards himself. Are we listening? Are we listening? Oswald Chambers made an amazing statement about calling Referencing the book of Isaiah, Oswald Chambers says God did not direct his call to Isaiah. Isaiah overheard God saying, who will go for us? And the call of God is not just for a select few, but for everyone. Whether I hear God's call or not depends on the condition of my ears. And exactly what I hear depends on my spiritual attitude. Do I have my listening ears on? God's calling. Am I hearing it? Not just hearing it. Am I hearing it It as to obey? So the first checkpoint that we see in listening and responding to God is calling. The second checkpoint we see is that of commissioning. Look at verse 11. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day, I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever." Let's just pause and feel the weight of what was just told to Samuel, okay? Samuel's about 13 or 14 at this point. Eli's super old, okay? Just that's biblical for really, really, really old. He's been serving under Eli for years. And God comes and his response is, speak for your servant, he hears, I hear as to obey. And God lays on him the weight of telling Eli that God's gonna destroy his family. I don't know about you, I've never had that message given to me to share with anybody so when we look at commissioning the word commissioning is is rooted in a Latin word "comitere," which means to entrust so Samuel is commissioned or entrusted with communicating a compelling message that God had given him now most compelling messages that I have usually go like this hey babe Baby girl just went to the bathroom and she doesn't want me to change the diaper, so I think she's asking for you. And then I just pause and wait. Or, Jax, I don't think we can go to Toys R Us, Barnes & Noble, and every other toy place on the earth today. Maybe let's just choose one. My messages that I'm entrusted with most oftentimes in my family aren't as weighty or as heavy as what Samuel is given. In fact, if you read through all of Samuel's life, this is by far the most challenging message he's given to communicate, and he's 13 years old. God is commissioning, entrusting us with a message, and the question that you should be asking is, what is God entrusting me with? I've responded to God's call, I've gone from death to life, i put my faith And Jesus, what is he commissioning me with? What has he given me? I would say as believers in Jesus Christ, we've been commissioned with specific messages. The first message we've been commissioned with is for the good news of salvation for the world to hear. If you look at Romans chapter 10, Paul makes an amazing statement. He says, how beautiful are the feet of those who carry good news. My feet are ugly. Can I just be honest? You can ask my wife. They are not pretty at all until I carry the good news of the gospel. God has entrusted you and he's entrusted me to be his mouthpieces for a world that needs his good news. He's entrusted us with that message. He's commissioned us with that message. Are we communicating it? Are we listening for his calling to do what he's told us? to do. So the first thing God has commissioned or entrusted us with is for the message of the good news of salvation for the world to hear. He's also entrusted us with the message that is grace-filled, the grace-filled news of restoring one another. Did you know in the book of Galatians, in the first two verses, Paul makes another beautiful statement he says, hey, if you catch anybody in sin, you who are spiritual, restore that person pursue them, go after them, They're your brother, your sister in Christ, they need to be brought back. Because if I'm honest, there's been seasons and seasons and seasons in the last 13 years that I have desired sin over salvation, that I have pursued my flesh as opposed to God, and it takes the love and grace of another brother or sister in Christ to awaken me from my stupor and to say, come back to the Lord. God has given us a message of grace to pursue those that are wayward. Are we listening? Are we communicating it? We're not to go to them and cast shame or angst upon them. We're not to ostracize them at all. He tells us to pursue them. Are we listening? And finally, if you remember a few weeks ago, Pastor Trent spoke so beautifully from Ephesians chapter 2, and in Ephesians chapter 2, we see that we are commissioned for good works that bring God glory. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through 10 tells us that you have been created in Christ Jesus for good works, that he set apart beforehand before you even knew it, he's created you for good works. Are we listening and doing what God has commissioned us to do? If I'm out this, is just tipped the iceberg. God's commissioned this was so much more. But I think this is a great starting point for us. Are our feet beautiful because we're bringing the good news of salvation to a world that needs it? Are we pursuing brothers and sisters in the Lord who have repented of their sins, trusted in Christ, been baptized as a symbol of his resurrection? Are we pursuing them with the same fervency that God does? And are our works reflective of his glory not our own. God's commissioned us. He's entrusted us. But notice what he says about Eli. On the day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from the beginning to the end, verse 13, and I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever. Why? For the iniquity he knew. Hear me say, we cannot properly discern God's commissioning if we allow sin to go unchecked in our lives. The reason why God is casting judgment upon Eli is because Eli allowed sin to be more reflective of his life and his family's life than anything else. Look back at 1 Samuel 2. His sons are sleeping with women at the temple. They are abominating his sacrifice, and Eli is allowing it. Sin is horrible, and if we allow our hearts, minds, and souls to go unchecked by the gospel on a day-to-day basis, we're not going to be able to hear what he's calling us towards. We will be deafened because of the power of sin. Do not allow sin to go unchecked in your life. Allow God's word to pervade it. So, the first checkpoint we see if we're looking at responding to God is calling. He's calling us. He's calling us from death to life, from light or from dark to light, from distance to closeness, from unholiness to holiness. He's calling you. He's calling you. He's calling you. He's also commissioning you. He's entrusted you with a message. He's given it to you. If you've responded in faith to the gospel of Jesus Christ, He's given you a message. If you haven't, He's calling you to salvation. And the third checkpoint we see is that of confrontation. Look at verse 15. 1 Samuel three fifteen. Samuel lay until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, here I am. And Eli said, what was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you, and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And Eli said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. God is calling us and commissioning us with a compelling message. And that message will bring confrontation at times. Just know it. He's calling us and commissioning us with a compelling message. Notice Samuel's first Response in verse 15. Samuel lay until morning. Low likelihood he slept. Can we just appreciate that? He lay until morning, and he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. I would be scared out of my mind to tell somebody, "Hey, God's going to bring judgment on your family, and there's nothing you can do about it." <laughs> na, na, na na. I would just be petrified, and Samuel is too. Samuel is afraid. He's hesitant to tell Eli the compelling message that God has given him. And the only time in 1 Samuel chapter 3 that we see Eli doing something good is for him to say, hey, tell me, or may God do it to you. All right, you motivated me. (laughs) Because what I'm about to tell you is really rough. You got it. It's coming to you. The compelling message that we've been commissioned with will lead to confrontation. It will lead to confrontation with friends at work or at school, it will lead to confrontation with family. Why? Because light looks different than dark. Because sin is comfortable and holiness is hard. Because a closeness to God reflects something different upon you. So it will bring confrontation. It will bring confrontation at work and it will bring confrontation within your own heart. Because as you allow the Word of God to examine. And Peter, remember, we must remain close to the Lord to discern his call, to discern his commissioning, to see what he's entrusted us with. We must repent continually of the sins that we harbor in our heart, and God's word will bring confrontation to you internally because you'll see what you're called to and you'll know where you are. It will bring confrontation. Samuel responded well to the confrontation. He just kind of lets Eli know, hey, this is what's happening. And Eli responds beautifully. Let the Lord do it because it's it's the Lord. is something I can do to stop it. Elsewhere in the Bible, we see beautiful pictures of confrontation. In the book of Acts, we see this picture of confrontation. Acts chapter 5, verse 27, it says, And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. Do you see the confrontation? The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him in his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Confrontation is part and parcel with the gospel. And always will be there. Because the gospel is calling us to something greater. We've been commissioned with something more amazing than anything the world could ever offer, there will be confrontation. But as we engage, as we fulfill God's calling, as we look at what he's entrusted us with, and as we inevitably enter confrontation, this beautiful statement was made by Francis Schaeffer talking about truth being proclaimed, because this is truth. Francis Schaeffer said, Truth carries with it confrontation. Truth demands confrontation. Now when we say confrontation, my mind immediately goes to 1997, Jerry Springer. Anybody else? I think he's still on, actually. I don't watch it anymore. Praise the Lord. <laughs> it's been a solid week. It's not, it's not talking about that type of confrontation. When we proclaim the truth, we're not to confront in Jerry Springer fashion, notice what Francis Schaeffer says in Reflecting Truth, loving confrontation. But confrontation, nevertheless. The gospel is different. It's different. Remember, he's calling us. He's entrusting us with a compelling message. That compelling message brings confrontation, but we must do confrontation well. So the first checkpoint we see in Hearing God speak is that of calling. The second is that of commissioning. He's entrusting us with a message. The third is that of confrontation. And the last checkpoint that we see in hearing God speak, do we have our listening ears on, is that of commitment. Look at the latter part of 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 19. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him. And let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh. For the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Samuel's commitment to fulfill his call and commissioning and working through confrontation led to Samuel being synonymously associated with the Lord. The word of the Lord was no longer rare. Prevalent. Samuel grew, the Lord was with him, he let none of his words fall to the ground. That is a picture of fulfilling the calling God has given to us. Are we committed? Are we hearing what God is saying? Are we understanding what he's entrusted us with? And are we presenting it in a compelling way so that people know something is different? God's calling us. He's given us a message. A message brings confrontation. But ultimately, it takes commitment. The reason why the whole nation knew who Samuel was, this is before social media, mind you. He had no Twitter followers. The reason why they knew is because God was making himself known. That's why they knew. So this morning, as we look at the different checkpoints of hearing God speak, chances are we're somewhere on this diagram. If you're here this morning and the word of the Lord has been rare to you, you've never heard the gospel. God's calling you. He's calling you to repent of sins, to place your faith in. And trust in Christ alone. Because he alone is sufficient for your salvation. If you've responded to God before, and you're a follower of Christ, then there's a high likelihood that you're somewhere in one of these four checkpoints. Do you understand what God's commissioned you with? You and I are his plan for the world. How are we doing at it? How are we working through confrontation? How committed are we to what he's given us? How is your hearing? Are we listening? Are we listening? In Janelle and I's life, we've moved through this circle a few different times. God has called us over and over and over again to different things. I can remember in 2010, God specifically calling us to a church in small, rural, south-central Virginia where we lived. Man, we were commissioned for that. And there was a lot of confrontation. We were committed, but God ultimately led us, and we discerned that he was calling us somewhere else. So as we leave there, we walk into the unknown, no idea where we're going, five months pregnant with my first son, stepping out, God's calling us. Where? I had no idea. Five days later, I I got another job. Praise the Lord. That led to another cycle. He commissioned me with a message, a task, to do. It led to confrontation, but we were committed, and we ultimately ended here. Because God's calling us. He's calling you. He's calling me. He's asking you To fulfill the commissioning that he's entrusted you with, regardless of confrontation, and to show your commitment. What is God calling you to today? Could today be the day that God calls you to himself for the very first time? I hope so. Could today be a day where you have a renewed sense of his calling and purpose in your life? I hope so. But this morning, as we come to a close and a time of reflection, let me challenge you. Reflect on what God is doing. Has His word been rare in your heart and in your life? Could you respond to the Lord by laying your anxieties, your burdens, your cares on Him at the altar, renewing your sense of commissioning? Could you praise the Lord because you've been committed to the work He's given you? So as Micah sings and as we Reflect, let me challenge you. What is God doing in your heart and life?